Y'all doing all right? It's a funny crowd today. I don't know if that's good or bad, if that makes me more nervous or less nervous. Um, I had a cool opportunity a couple weeks ago to um, go to uh, Mooresville Senior High School. Um, the Association of, or the Fellowship of Christian Athletes asked if I wanted to come and share, so that was really cool. So Thomas, you've actually heard part of this message, so this is going to be a little bit of a recap for you. But, um, I got to... Um, I got to share with them, and I introduced myself, and I said, you know, this is the, this is probably the only time that I will see most of you in my entire life, and I have to share this message, so I wanted to figure out what's the most important thing that I could share with you, and so that's, that's what I shared. So, you all get the full version. I get them the, you know, at about 10 to 15 minutes, so I get them the, the clip notes version, but you all get the full deal. So full disclosure that the original concept for this message um, came from the Avengers. So I'm not preaching about the Avengers, but they definitely influenced kind of where my head went when I was preparing this message. Um, if you have seen any of the Avengers movies, Christy and I are really big Avengers fans. We've seen them all, we own most of them. We like watching them. But we were talking about the Avengers, and naturally that led to talking about how awesome God is. Totally right. So if you've seen the Avengers movies, you know that there's this villain character who is not awesome. He's kind of really evil. And he's on the pursuit to find these items that will essentially give him unlimited power where he can do whatever he wants to do. And since he's not awesome, um, the things that he wants to do are very, very bad. And so Chrissy and I were just kind of talking through, and she had this you know, moment where she was like, I'm so glad that God is not like Thanos. You know, because he's a psychopath, right? But the God of the universe, who really is all-powerful, who created all and does all, is such a lovely that, you know, it's fun to go watch movies and get caught up and, you know, do the fictional thing. But our reality is so good that we get to worship and belong to this God who loves us. So I'm going to work through some thoughts about God's love for us and then talk a little bit about... Um, kind of a vital role that we get to play in that. And that's, that's kind of the end focus, and that's, that's what I want to emphasize. But I'm going to talk a little bit through just some thoughts I had about how much God loves us. So I thought I would just start at the beginning, right? And then God creates mankind, which is cool, right? But just, I, I don't know. I think the way that he goes through this is really interesting. That first he creates us in his image, that's Genesis 1, 26. And then he blesses us. I just think that's interesting. Like God creates something in his image and then blesses it. And then he gives us purpose. He gives us a job to do. And then he sits back and looks and he says, this is good. This is good. So just even in the beginning, God's creating us seems to me like just a loving act to create something that blesses. I don't know why that stands out to me, but it does. But then God does this other thing that, and you're going to hear me mention this a lot, seems funny to me. I'm going to, I'm going to kind of emphasize that a couple times. Um, God places Adam and Eve in this garden, and he you know, walks through all the responsibilities that they have. And then he says, except for there's this one tree over here that you can't eat from. If you eat from this tree, you are going to die. So don't eat from it. But, but then God stands back and totally lets them eat from it. I, I don't know if that just seems 
funny to me, like, that God did not prevent them from doing this thing that he said, don't do. He could have put a wall up. He could have put, like, laser beams up or something, you know, like, to prevent them from getting to the tree. Like, they got near, and, like, a shock went off or something, like dog collars. Or, he could have done something. But God gave them this directive, and then he gave them the... And that just seems like such a funny thing for me. I think especially since our kids are getting a little bit older and realizing that at some point they're going to have to make choices, like that's kind of a terrifying thing. To allow other people to make choices that very well could be harmful to them, like that seems, you know, to me, as a human, crazy. Like that seems like a crazy thing. Like why would you do that? But that's the relationship that God has with us. And he puts us in a position where ultimately we get to decide and we get to make choices. You know, let's just think of any choice, not like even choices to choose right or wrong, but like my nephew Oliver has been talking about going on this road trip to Iowa. And he's like a senior in high school. I'm like, do you know how far away Iowa is? Like, like that's like a 15-hour drive. It's like 950 miles or something like that. And like, that seems like a crazy thing. You are too young to make choices like, I'm going to drive to Iowa. Because who knows what could happen while you're, while you're gone. That. When I was, you know, I know when I was 17, I think it was different. I don't know if it's different for everybody, but it feels different to me. Like, the choices that I was allowed to make when I was younger, and now looking at allowing other people to make choices, and it's not equal for sure. You know, when I was 17, I graduated from high school, and some buddies and I went to Europe for five weeks with backpacks. This is before cell phones. My parents like dropped me off at the airport in Chicago, and they're like, all right, we'll see you back here in five weeks. Like, that seems ridiculous. And here I am stressing out that my nephew might be wanting to drive to Iowa, like, you know, on a long day trip. Well, not a day trip, but a long drive on one day. Like, and that panics me. But here we are. You know, children of this God who puts us in this situation where we're allowed to choose. We're allowed to make choices. And then the next thing he does is maybe even more foreign to me is that he allows us to choose, recognizing that many times we're going to choose poorly, but then he creates this system to forgive us. Wow, that's amazing, isn't it? But then he puts us in this position to, to repent, and then he forgives us. But here's what he says about when we go to him and repent, what happens this is Psalms 103, um, 11 through 12. It says, For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. And then in Jeremiah 31, he continues that thought, or it's the same, the same thought pattern. He says, I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. This is God. All-knowing, all-powerful God forgets stuff? Like that, that, I don't know, that blows my mind. That he would put himself in a position where he can forgive and forget the poor choices that we made. Doesn't that seem crazy? I think that's so crazy to me because that is not the world that I live in. At least when I look at society, I don't, I don't feel like those things mesh. Here's just a recent example from the news. 
Um, a couple weeks ago, there was this Iowa Hawkeyes football game. Hooray! <laughs> Iowa and I are big Hawkeyes, so Ryan and I love the Hawkeyes. Um, but anyway, the, the ESPN news crew was there, and they were filming. There was this guy in the stands, and he had this sign. It said, like, I'm out of beer money. Send money. Or, like, I need money for Bush Light or something. Totally ridiculous. But he had his Venmo name on there. So if you don't know, that's an app where you can just transfer money to people. And so we had his code on there. And so money started pouring in. Like hundreds, tens of thousands, and then $100,000 pour into this guy's Venmo account. Just because he put a sign up that he needed more Bush Light. But then he takes that money and he creates a system to funnel it into a special fund at the University of Iowa Hospital for Children. Yeah, baby. He does this awesome thing with it. And it was just, it, it was really amazing. The, the University of Iowa Hawkeye football team has this great relationship with the Children's Hospital, which is right across the street. And the kids like, can sit in the window and watch the games. And they have this, this tradition after the first quarter, everybody in the stadium, all 75,000 people, turn around and wave at the kids. But then this guy would then pour this money into that fund. So here's what happened. The state paper decides to write up this article about him. And because they want to be as thorough as possible in vetting his biography, they dredge up these tweets that he put, you know, that he tweeted when he was 16 that were not awesome. I would, I would classify these as poor choices. And the beer company that said, hey, you're doing such great things, we'll pour with you, we'll pay money into this fund too, they cut out. This whole thing, like, helping kids, right? It drives me crazy. Because of things that he said when he was 16 years old, I'm so thankful that I'm not frequently held accountable for the poor choices that I made as a 16-year-old. You know, it's, you know, it's, so it seems foreign to me sometimes when God would go out of his way to forget something that we did. Because Twitter doesn't forget. You know, the society that we live in, they don't forget. And they hold our feet over the fire for those past decisions that we made. But yet God is willing to say, as far as east is from the west, I will forget about this. Hallelujah. God loves us in such a crazy way. You know, there's a song that we sing sometimes in church um, called The Reckless Love of God. That it, it feels like that way sometimes. Like, you would permit me to make choices. You would forgive me and forget about the things that I do. You know, I don't want to get into a theological discussion about this. Online, I stumbled across this online forum where there were some people were trying to decide if that was heresy or not. <laughs> I kind of did a big eye roll and went on to do something else with my life. But, you know, I, I, it could certainly seem, from a human perspective, that allowing anybody to make any choice that they want to would seem like a reckless thing to do. But that's the decision that God made about the relationship that he wanted to have with people is that he wanted us to have that ability to always choose him or not choose him. Because anything else in the end wouldn't be love. Automation, or it would be despotism, but it wouldn't be love. Gosh, Lord, you are so good. I think that it's just... Again, for me, it's hard to wrap my head around this because this isn't the world that I feel like I live in. I'm not exposed to this outside of church. 
I saw it as when I'm hearing about Jesus, you know, in a sermon or if I'm singing songs. And I guess where I've been leading to is that's a problem. It's a problem that we're not exposed to that. And I talk about how we fit into that in just a second. So I'm going to kind of transition my thoughts into what our role is in this. But I'm going to take off my preaching hat and I'm going to put on a teaching hat for a second. I'm going to do a little teaching if that's all right. I'm going to talk a little bit about um, part of the very nature of what it means to be a Christian. So I'm going to start at the very beginning again. We go back to Genesis 1:26, when God decides to create us and to create us in His image, and what that means. So here's the teaching: the word for image in the Hebrew is selam. You don't need to remember that; there will not be a quiz. But what that word translates to is representative likeness. So that's the same word in the Hebrew that um, Hebrew authors will use to describe idols in the Old Testament. They will say this idol was created in the selam of whatever false god it was made. And you start to look like this other thing. Okay? A representative likeness. So I think you could make the argument that that's, that applies to us. We are the representative likeness of God here on earth. I don't think that's a stretch, and I'm going to carry it on to talking about how Jesus says something very similar. But not just about what it means to exist, but what it means to partner with him and follow him. After the Last Supper, while Jesus is on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane, you know the story, he's... It's about done for him, right? So he's squeezing in like this last mini sermon to his disciples, and it's just like some kind of bullet points, like bam, 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 bam. But one of the things he says to them is this. This is John 13, uh, 34 and 35. He says this. He says, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should want, love one another. People will know that you are Christians if you love one another. In this translation, it says, your love for one another will prove to the world that if we want to be followers of Jesus, if we want to be his representatives here on earth, how do we do that? We love one another. And I know, I don't know about you, but whenever anybody like repeats themselves three times, Love one another, tell you can love one another. People know that you're my disciple if you love one another. I think you take them seriously. Right? You listen. I totally try this tactic with my children, and it does not work at all. But, but I really mean business when I start repeating myself. I just, at some point, we'll get them to the place where they can recognize that also and not continue hitting their sister or whatever it is that's going on. Or just stop taking her toys. Stop taking her. At least my voice also raises by the time I get to the third one, so... That probably doesn't help. Um, we need to love one another, right? So let me um, tie one more thing in, and I'm going to talk about that more broadly. There's this time earlier in Jesus' ministry, ministerial life, when the Pharisees kind of corner him. You know, so these are the people who keep the law, who, right, to pick one. It's a trap. It's totally a trap. And Jesus masterfully springs the trap. And this is from Matthew 28, 34 through 40. Uh, starting after 34. 
says, Jesus replies to this guy. He says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. A second, a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands fits really well in with the notion that we're representing God and Jesus here on this earth. Because it's love your God with all your heart and soul your mind. So we have this vertical connection, right? But then this horizontal connection. It's what we get from here, and then it has to go out here. right? We can only love others because God first loved us, right? It just ties it all together. Jesus is... He's really wrapping, you know, and I think that's fairly universal. I don't think it would be a stretch to have a conversation with people sitting around you and find somebody who had a past church experience that was damaging or hurtful because they were in a position where, despite being among Christians, where they weren't loved. I mean, I think that's a pretty common conversation that you can have with people, even which is even more so reason why this is so important. Because if even the, you know, speaking very broadly, right? This isn't, I'm not calling anybody out or saying anything about river life. But broadly speaking, if people's, their exposure to church and to Christians is negative, they're seeing these people who are alleged representatives of the Most High God, and what's their experience with that? It's not positive a lot of times. They've never had a conversation with someone and experienced his love. Right? But a lot of times that, that plays out because they have had exposure to people who are saying, I am a Christian. You're a jerk. Right? You messed up. These choices that you're making, they're garbage. Fix it. Right? I mean, having... I don't think this is a stretch, is it? Where there are people like that who say things to non-Christians that I wouldn't necessarily define as being loving. But here's the call, folks. We cannot separate what it means to be a follower of Jesus from loving other people. We can't. But Jesus has wrapped it all up into one package. If we are to be followers of Jesus, we have to love other people. It's just, it's not, it's not optional. Part of why, I'm going to be honest for a second, I'm not going to go far with this, but I do, I do need to disclose this. Um, I think part of why this feels important to me is because there's an election season coming up. And I think, for whatever reason, politics is in a realm in which it's really easy to stop loving people. Where you find out somebody might believe something differently than you do, and because we know absolutely what's right and what's true all the time, and then we, we react to them in a way that's not perhaps loving, I think it's just a good reminder, church, that we've got to love people. So when I was working through my notes, I was, uh, I paused here and I was like, where do you go from this point? Because I feel like there's, you know, there, there's multiple sermons 
that I could, could branch from this. You know, I thought one whole time about it, just talking about what love is not, but that's, we're not going to do that today. So I'm going um, to circle back around to one of Paul's letters. And I was, I was, at first I was worried about this because I'm like, this is cliche. People are going to laugh at me if I tell them I'm going to preach from 1 Corinthians 13. Because this is like the wedding verse, right? There was at least a period of time. I don't, at least, like there was a period of my time, probably like the late 90s, early 2000s, when I was going to a lot of weddings, just people I knew were getting married. And this was the verse or the chapter, right? Because you have to have, if you're getting married in church, you have to have a scripture read. And this talks about love, so that's, that's the right one to do. And so I was like, oh man, I don't, I don't really want to draw from that today because that's totally cliche and people will laugh. But it's actually super fitting. It actually exists for exactly this context. We don't have the initial conversation starter, but at the point of question. We don't have the question written down. So I don't know if it was some, a letter that somebody sent to him or somebody showed up and asked him this, but he's writing this letter to the church in Corinth and he's asking a question. And the question had to do something like, who are the most important people in the church? Like if I have, if I can prophesy, am I better than this dude who speaks in tongues? Could you, Paul, could you tell us about this a little bit? Have y'all heard that? Y'all know 1 Corinthians 13, right? And so Paul's like, you're not doing it out of love. And so then this is, if people even skip that part, you know, when the, they have the guest reader come up to read at the wedding, they'll oftentimes read this part. I'm going to read it. This is um, verses 4 through 7. So Paul says, listen, all these things are great, whatever. Prophesy, speak in tongues, yada, yada. If you don't love people, it doesn't matter. Here's what love is. So he says, love is patient and kind or proud or rude. Has anybody, has anybody stumbled yet? I, I didn't, honestly, I didn't make it past patient. I feel like I used to be patient, but then I had three kids. And that got used up. So I'm, I'm, I'm struggling already. Um, it's not proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never fails. It's always hopeful, and it endures through every circumstance. That's a picture of love. You know, I think we could spend, I think people, generally speaking, Again, this is not specific, but I think we could spend a considerable amount of time in just that first verse. I think we could spend a lot of time on love is kind. And what's that mean to be kind to other people? Patience? I mean, anybody? Like, but this is the biblical definition of what it means to love. So if I can't treat other people with patience, I need to check myself. I need to get right with the Lord. I need to love him with all my heart, my soul, and my mind, as per the greatest commandment. And then, because he loves me back, I can then love other people better than I'm doing right now. Here's the truth. That's not something we can do on our own. If you are trying to love others based on your own strength, you're not going to make it. That's why the greatest commandment connects us to the Lord first. We can't possibly be Jesus' disciples 
We can't possibly be representatives of God without him first. Without connecting with him and then being able to pour out to other people. Because then, only then, can we give what we have. Right? I mean, y'all, have you ever tried to get, like, pour out of a place where, you know, it's just you? Man, I, yeah, oh, gosh. It's not pretty. It's not pretty. Love is patient and kind. Love is, love is not jealous or boastful. It does not, I'm reading this again. That was an honest. <coughs> I think it merits it. It does not demand its own way. I used to think that that was, you know, I really held it down because I was a nine, but that's biblical. So we're good. That was an Enneagram joke, if anybody is tracking. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but re- rejoices whenever the truth wins out. I don't know, that one stuck to me too because I feel like it's easier for us to rejoice when we win out. When we, like That's a lot of times the priority over truth winning out or whatever is true, being defined, explained, and prevailing, that we have a perspective, we have an idea, we have a concept, and it's more important for us to get that point across to people, especially perhaps maybe during, you know, especially perhaps maybe during election season, than to have all of our focus be on what's truth, and let me get truth out. I'm gonna read something else, and this one's hard. Okay, but it's, Paul continues the idea. He says this, um, this is verse 12. And now we, we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity, right, in the future. We will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. God, I, Paul frames this. I think, it, I think it ties directly to loving other people. People, our perspective is our main focus. This is what I think. This is what I believe. This is what I know. And this is going to guide my conversation with whoever it is. What, whatever that conversation may play out. So you can, you can picture the thing that I was talking about, politics, right? How that might pop up. But Paul says... All that I know now is partial and incomplete. He invites us all to be humble. How far would humility go in our interactions with other love? And say, hey, you know, I, I mean, maybe I'm not right. Let's pursue truth together. Now, I, I feel like I frequently get up here and I dog on social media, and that's not my goal. I'm on Instagram as much as anybody. But it's just, it's super hard to have a conversation, like via Twitter, you know? It's hard to express yourself and show love in 140 characters. It's more now, but you know, you get my drift, right? Even on Facebook, it's hard to convey, here's, here's something super important. You can't convey emotion on social media. So if you're having a conversation with somebody and that's the main way that you've chosen to dialogue with them, I, I would say you have to be careful. Because it's super easy to fall into a trap where we present ourselves in a way that's maybe not loving and kind. I'm not saying don't do that. 
right, again, I said this could be a whole, there could be a whole other message about, you know, how this works out practically. I'm totally admitting that. But it's reasonable that if we go into any interaction with anybody else, that we want our focus to be on loving them. And then maybe getting our way becomes less important. You know, it's that, I just go back to thinking about conversations that I've had with people who aren't Christians and their perspective on people in the church is that they're self-righteous or that they're judgmental. Right? I mean, is that the taste that we want to leave in their mouths? I don't, I don't think so. But we, we, church, get to do better than that. We've been invited to participate with Jesus as being his disciple, his follower, his representative here on earth, and representing to people who he is. That's awesome. That's one of my favorite things about the Lord is his invitation for us to participate with him. It didn't have to be that way. Right? That's why I went back to talking about the beginning and the way that he created us. He created us, he blessed us, and then he gave us jobs. Right? We're not playthings. We're not statues. We're participants. And there's a whole world out there, folks, who need us to participate and to participate well. This is an, um, I'm gonna invite y'all to do something. Not now, but later on. Guys, all right, so don't worry. But if you were so inclined, I super believe that there would be value in us as a congregation thinking through, reading through, meditating on 1 Corinthians 13 and what it means to be loved to this world. I, I, I don't know. I think there'd be value in that. I can't imagine a situation where meditating on God's word would, would not be valuable. I feel like we're in a place in our nation where we need this. Because it's, it's almost like there's a drought. You know, there's so much focus on who's right and who's wrong. and not so much on loving other people. I don't think loving other people is just letting them have their way all the time. So don't think that I'm saying that. I do think there's a super important component to when Jesus specifies love others as yourself. I know for a long time I, I really valued people loving each other if I like sacrificed all that I had for them, which I'm not saying that's always wrong, but I do think there's a super important component where we love others as ourselves. And we can diminish ourselves sometimes, but I guess I'm saying love isn't permission to let people mistreat you or to walk all over you. Or if somebody says, um, if, you, if you really love me, yada yada. So I think there's some discernment involved in what it means to love other people. And again, I think it would be valuable if you were so inclined to pursue said discernment, if you spent some time in 1 Corinthians 13, just 
What's the Lord have to say about what it means to love other people? I know in youth group growing up, again, I thought this was lame, but we did it. You cross out love and you're writing your name. Have you ever done that? You know, can, can I say Corey is patient and kind? Corey is not just, right? So how, does, how do those traits about love directly correspond with me and my behavior and my heart attitude? Is there a place in there where I need to do some introspection, figure some stuff out, maybe correct some things so that I can be back to partnering with Jesus and loving other people in the right way? So that's what I got. That's it. So I'm going to um, pray and ask Ryan to come up and, and move us on to what's next, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah, Marlon's going to share That was actually a good message. <clears throat> Usually, uh, I never interrupt the preacher. But uh, during worship, you know, there was such a, um, an anointing, for lack of a better word, for love. Like, it was so strong in the room, it just felt like liquid love. And I actually leaned over to Luis, my friend, and I said, I don't know if you sense that right now, I don't know if you feel that right now, but there's such a strong presence of love. And the words out of his mouth, he goes, Mother, I just thought about What I was just thinking about was that second Corinthians, I just think about that right now. So, the reason I'm saying that is there's an impartation that is available for us in the room. And I don't want you to let this pass by over you. Because that part is real this morning. That it's in the Father's heart to saturate us with His love. It's in the Father's heart for us to really comprehend His love. It's incomprehensible. But yet at the same time, He invites us to His end. Yeah, so I think there's opportunity. If you don't feel like you've ever felt the love of the Father before, we're gonna we're gonna invite that this morning. And I don't know. This might be wacky. If it is, sorry. Um, but if you've ever been hurt by the church before, and not just River Life, but if you've ever been hurt by church in general, I would like to apologize. On behalf of the church body, the universal church body, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. And I invite this, I invite for you this morning to pass that on. You know, to forgive whatever situation that was. If you want to come up here and forgive me, I'll apologize again if that happened. But if you're carrying hurt from past experiences, there's a good chance that that's likely affecting your ability to receive. And there's just no value in that. So let's get it over with. So if you've been hurt and want to come talk to me, come and talk to me. Yeah. Let's just slide into this. If you want to stand up too, let's do that. Just pray for you corporately. And then if you want to come up and get prayer about what Corey was saying today about engaging with this love for yourself and love for others love for the Lord I just invite you to do that so let me pray Lord first. Lord we choose to love you first 
We choose, God, to love you first, as you've invited us to do. Lord, where that's been broken because of the church, Lord, we say, like Corey said, we just say sorry to folks. We ask for forgiveness, Lord, that you would let people grab a hold of forgiveness, that you would let people let go like you. And then, Lord, we say yes to loving others. We say yes, God, to loving others, to engaging first to love, not to be right, but to love, to be that physical representation of who you are, God. So we want to engage in that, God. And where other people have hurt us or where we've hurt people, Lord, we ask that you would help us to forgive. Help us to forgive others. Help us to forgive ourselves. Lord, we have really messed things up in the past. Lord, forgive us. Thank you, God. Lord, help us to see change, to see fruit, and to see your goodness released as we engage in loving you and loving others. Amen. Come on up and get a hold of that. So, I just want to pray for the Father's love, for the importation of that Father's love. So just, just put your hand over your heart. Father, you just see all these hearts that are in this room. For your face, Father, is set towards us continuously, Father. And I ask you, Father, this morning that your love, which is part of us, that we'll have an impartation, Father, that we'll experience your impartation, Father, of getting to know you and how much you love us. And that through your love, we'll learn how to love each other with the same love. And I just thank you, Father, that the same love that you have for Jesus, same love that you have for us, not any less. With the same intense, fiery fire of your love. We say we want that this morning, Father. We desire that this morning, Father. Take us deeper into that place. Take us deeper into that place. And we all say, Amen. Amen. You can be released. Parents, go get your kids, please. Don't forget your kids. Don't leave them here. Facebook and let go doesn't allow us to dismiss your kids that way. Please go find your kids.